hey, welcome. Welcome to the Scuttlebutt Podcast. I'm Rich, and we're coming at you live tonight on a gorgeous evening here in, in late October. It's gorgeous where I'm at anyway. It was hit 10 degrees today and uh, was sunny, so that, that was nice. Tonight's guest is Matt Duncan, and Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Rich. Good to be here. I, I, I'm glad. I'm glad to have you here. We've uh, had a two week hiatus here on uh, on doing podcasts. Uh, we were we went traveling. Uh, we headed uh, down south to Texas, and maybe we'll talk about that later. But uh, tell me, whereabouts are you at, Matt? I know that we're two hours difference in time. So I live in what we call Midwestern Ontario. I'm probably an hour, roughly an hour east of Lake Huron and probably two and a half hours, two hours, two and a half hours west of Toronto and about an hour south of Georgian Bay and about two and a half hours north of the, the border at, at Ontario and the U.S. Well, as long as you say you're west of Toronto, things are looking up. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a, a very rural community. My, my town's about 700 people growing really? All the time, but it, uh, it, it's it's mainly predominantly agriculture around here. Okay, so you're you actually have very nice weather. Then you're 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 that far south, right? So it I actually I live in the snow belt. So when the snow starts to come, we get the squalls off the lake, and we get we get dumped on, and then it'll melt, and then we get dumped on it again. And when I was younger, it used to be we get wintertime it might thaw once and now it thaws numerous times and floods and it makes for interesting trapping anyways that's for that, sure that that lake effect stuff right yeah but you're 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 actually south of a, of a, some of the northern tier states then right oh yeah i'm i'm south of of when i look at the map uh about halfway across wisconsin is, is kind of where i'm at latitude oh, okay yeah yeah, yeah. So your your weather's quite different than than ours. Me bragging about my plus ten degree day today was was nothing for you, huh? <laughs> was, it was the same temperature here today. Was it? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> we we got a little bit of snow. Um, I guess we've had two snowstorms, but there were neither one of them mounted the hill of beans or an inch, inch and a half of snow, and and you know, and a couple of of days with sunshine, and that's gone. But uh, we're getting late for not having snow that stays for here. Yeah, so it, it was the last two days previous, it was 18, 19 degrees here. We, we won't know for a while yet. <laughs> that is warm. So tell me, how did you get into trapping? Young fellow so, like you, it could, could only been a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my grandfather was a trapper. Yeah. So I started trapping. I was, I was eight years old when I caught my first muskrat within walking distance of my mom and dad's house. And uh, it just kind of snowballed from there. I, that, that muskrat and the next year, I think I caught 30 muskrats, a mink and a bunch of coons. And I think I had the most money of any kid in town at that point. Yeah. So yeah. It, it was a real driving factor at that point. I, I remember those days too. Um, and it wasn't for, wasn't so much for muskrat here to begin with. It was, uh, the big for the um do you remember the late 70s no you probably you weren't trapping then <laughs> late late 70s early 80s we had we had that big boom i, I actually had a lynx that that went for 1300 bucks or something like that and that was that was like 
holy cow, that was an entire month's worth of employment for for a journeyman carpenter, right? And I got that on one on one links. <laughs> you know, it was it, it was remarkable. Uh, that 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 has changed so much since then. So you uh, you started like everybody does, making yourself a little bit of side money, and and you started with muskrat. Yeah, muskrats, and then uh, like I said, I caught that first make the the second year. I think I was nine. And I got eighty dollars for that mink. Wow! And I'm I'm thinking to myself, wow! I I you know I could just do this the rest of my life at that point, you know. And, <laughs> and I uh, have I have right here. I'll show you. I'll show you. You see what that 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 says there? Well, oh, mink. A, yeah, yeah, mink. I get fruit top lot uh, mink for uh, one of fur harvesters. Actually, I think I had four or five mink in the top lot. <laughs> You know, and I think I got ten dollars and fifty cents for them. <laughs> <Every each. laughs> I've sold a lot of ten and twenty dollar makes since that eighty dollar one. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, well, and it was funny because my uh, my muskrats actually went really well, and I haven't got a muskrat right now. I have, and I should be out muskrat trapping, but we've uh, we've been off to, to Texas, went on a hunt that I wanted to do, and just because I wanted to get outside of the world outside of my head and we so we went off on a, on a trip and that's usually my prime muskrat time and um i don't know if, it, if it's still open next week i'll 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 do some but uh, we're headed for the for the big line tomorrow and um that's the beginning of, of trying to clean up all those uh, all the trees and everything else you try hopefully we still got a bridge in it has been a dry year, so I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have lost a bridge or anything like that. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting out there too. That's, uh, it's been one of those years where things just have conspired, and I haven't been to the to the trap line too much. We, we uh, got out there. Um, oh, jeepers! I guess I think I was done probably in early July, getting ready for, for our, our guests that are coming here in, uh, in December to to go do the trap line and with us and, and be on the show. And I just haven't been back. It's one thing after another, you know, kids need this, kids need that, you know, Sandy has, has an event come up or something. And, and all of a sudden it's like, we haven't been there since early July, <laughs> you know, well, the feeling we, uh, my two youngest girls and I, we went up middle of September to camp and did a bit of cleaning up and some fishing and shot some grouse and, you know, just kind of relaxed. I I needed a few days to go and relax and not do a whole lot. It, uh, it was a busy summer chasing critters. So that's the that's the thing though that people don't get. I see people say, you know, I'm I'm done trapping. I'm, I'm not I'm not going to donate my time. I'm not going to work for an hour, for a buck an hour. I don't. You know, yes, of course, what you get paid is important, but it's not the, the overriding factor for me. I mean, it's different if it's your job, like if it's animal damage control, that, that, that kind of stuff. But for the health that it creates, you know, in between my ears, especially when, I, when I'm out there in the bush, you know, um, I can do a lot of that. You know, you, it's funny, you, you'll put in a, you know, a 50 or 60 hour week, and then you'll, you'll go, go out to the trap line for, for three days and put in another 50 or 60 hours worth of work out there, but you'll come back from that, that trip to the trap line and, and ready to go. You know what I mean? You're, it's, yeah. Change is as good as a rest, but uh, I've uh, I kind of, I kind of feel bad for some of those people who are just, you know, they're, they're trapping 
coon or beaver or whatever they're trapping and and you know doing it as a as a fur trapper and they're not happy you know what i mean i i, I think they're missing out on on the whole the whole connection there but i could be wrong <laughs> I kind of I, I kind of have both of those sentiments because when I first started my animal damage control business, I, it just because it's it's a seasonal thing for us here, it worked out great. I could fur trap in the fall and the winter and and do my animal damage control in the summer, and I never had to tell a boss I was quitting come the first of October to go fur trapping that way. Yeah, yeah. And I did that a few times over the years because I thought, you know what, I like fur trap way more than coming working in a welding shop. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And and I'll work way harder, you know, <laughs> first exactly. than I will building houses, you know. <laughs> so you uh, turned uh, a passion into a business and you have yeah. a, a animal damage control business. Next year will be 20 years. 20 years? 20 years. Holy since crap. Since I registered my first business name 20 years ago. Good for you. Good I wasn't you. able to do it full-time at first, so I worked seasonally. Being as there's lots of agriculture around here, I worked for seed and fertilizer companies, you know, hauling fertilizer and stuff when I wasn't busy and doing repairs. And and then as things, the crops got in, then I was left to go, you know, nuisance trapping, and it just, it worked out really good, actually. Well, you, you said that you're in a very rural area, so there's a big demand there then? So I, I do drive a lot. Oh, I, you I drive. Okay. I do. I have a circle about an hour and a half of, of the house. Okay. And that includes, we, we have a lot of cottagers up and down the lake here on shoreline that come from Toronto and London and the bigger cities. And they're, they're a big bulk of my customers. And then I do some work in, I've done work in Toronto, London, Stratford, Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge, Guelph. Oh, okay. Isn't so it funny? That, isn't it funny that the people that, that want to lecture you about, about the ethics of trapping have no idea how to, how to deal with a raccoon in their attic? <laughs> they're, the, they're the first person that calls you. And I always turn it into a discussion about wildlife management and trapping. Anytime I meet a customer, I, I, I have a great time doing that. I probably spend too long talking to people, to be honest with you. So what's your law there? Can you, can you actually move that animal and, and release it, or, or do you have to kill so it? The, the guidance from our Ministry of Natural Resources is close proximity, which they define as one to two kilometers. Okay. All my customers get told the same thing. If this animal leaves here, it gets euthanized. Okay. If you want me to exclude the animal from your property and, and, and let it be and let it live here, that's fine. We can do that. We don't have to kill it. But if it leaves here, that's the, that's the, what happens to it. Okay. And some over are fine with it, some aren't. I've had to make, I've had people tell me, you know, I don't care how much damage it did to my house. Let it go in the backyard. Really? I can't believe it myself, but you know, <laughs> kinda, it's what it is. You kind of hope they pass them genetics along. <laughs> <laughs> Actually raccoons are, raccoons are very uh, built that way. Once a raccoon lives in a house, all its offspring live in houses too. They're, they're yeah. They're, they're just conditioned that way. And that's why Toronto has a huge, huge raccoon problem because nobody wants to do anything with those raccoons. All the yeah. companies, the same thing. They kick them out, they exclude them, they move two houses down to the neighbor. Okay. Nobody kill nothing. And it just, it just was on and on and on. So raccoons are your number one animal? 
So raccoons, skunks, and squirrels are my big three. Okay. And and then uh, I do quite a bit of nuisance beaver control too for our municipalities. We have just our, our country here is very flat. So we have drainage ditches everywhere. Mm-hmm. Hundreds, hundreds of kilometers of drainage ditches that drain all the farmer. But when a beaver moves into one of them, it's not long for the phone rings and say, get rid of him. Okay. None of the tiles will run once the beaver plugs up the open, open ditch. I had seen that in um, uh, Justin Deaver in Iowa, and he was talking about how they put drainage tile, weeping tile, basically in fields so that they could. I was just flabbergasted. I'd never heard of such a thing. And, but he said that they would never be able to grow anything otherwise if they weren't constantly draining those fields. And that, and that where, where they have those, that the, they all, they're interconnected like the roots of a tree and, and they get progressively larger until they're a, a large tile. And he said, that's just the, the ultimate place to, to trap raccoon. Yep. We have, I, it's funny. I've had calls before I, I help out the drainage superintendents and they'll call and they'll say, we got a tile blowout and it's a coon that's crawled into that tile and he's crawled in from the outlet and he might be halfway across the farm when he dies in the tile. Oh, really? Yeah, they, they use them in the summer as dens, just like a, just like a, a hole in the ground. Right. Lots of those tiles, unless we get a heavy rain, they're dry all summer. Yeah. They don't run any water. So it's just like a, it's just a den site and a, and a travel point to go from one area to another through those tiles a lot of times. Really? Yeah. So one, when they have one goes in there, dies, plugs, plugs it, I guess. And then, then they plugs end up having. And then eventually, pool. eventually the water blows out around it and it'll suck a hole in the field. And then they'll know. we got. <laughs> Old farmer Brown's tractor goes down as he drives across. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's lots of farms right around me here that they like, like Justin said, you wouldn't be able to farm if, if they weren't tiled. It's all. See? Really dark black soil and and this was a real wetland years ago when people first came here and cleared it off that's amazing that's you know it's one of those amazing things that that you know if you never get outside of your own backyard you never know anything about it right yeah i, I find it quite interesting when i started going to the nta conventions talking with the, the guys from the midwest u.s it's very very similar conditions and and farming practices in the midwest u.s as, as we have here in Midwestern Ontario. Yeah, but I mean, you're, you're just about that far south anyway, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, let's, let's go over your, your, your big three there and, and talk about how, how you handle them. Like with the raccoon, what is your number one go-to set? So 90% of my raccoon work is coons that have moved into attics in the spring and had little ones. So I do a lot of hands-on work. I, I'll go in the attic and I'll, I'll remove the physically remove the little ones, and then I'll I'll use a trap. I'll, I trap normally on the roof to catch the, the salcoon as she's going in and out. Ninety percent of those entrances are roofs off at intersections. You being a builder know all about when the guys bring the bring the aluminum soft and face you down to the roof. It sits in a J trim loose, and yeah. all the coons do is they grab a hold of it and they just bend it. No kidding. Yep. Amazing. So, so I do a lot of I do a lot of repair work too and, and wildlife proofing and I fix all those corners yeah. on, on there. So 
you'd set uh, what a live trap just outside of where she she would be yeah. going in, or it would or... get fastened. It'd get it'll get fastened right over the hole. Oh, okay, I got it's you. Positive set. She has no choice. She's either got to go through it or or can't win her out. Oh, okay, okay. So that's that's a pretty straightforward set. You don't have to worry about bait lure or nothing, right? No, no. And if if we do any ground trapping, then we'll use bait and lure. But ninety uh, percent of the sets are positive sets, just because it's a faster method of, of solving the problem. Gotcha, gotcha. That's that, and that is ninety percent of your coon. You said is is the spring yep. when she's got young. Yep, I'll get a few in the fall that have moved. You know, they'll they'll rip a hole to get in to hibernate or something like that. But most of my coon work is is spring work. Oh, okay, okay. So then, then, squirrels, squirrels. This time of year is really busy for squirrels because they're all looking for a place to get into hibernate for the winter, and you know, put a good stock up nuts and stuff in for the winter and so most of my jobs with that are older homes in some of the bigger cities around me that are still wood soft and fascia and you know some of those houses are 70 to 80 100 years old and gets weak and the squirrel chews a hole and then he goes yeah and yeah. again it's mostly positive setting sometimes live traps in the gutters and that where they run up and down and catch them that way Hey folks, Rich from Trapping Inc. TV here, and it's no secret that I'm a big fan of coffee. Our friends at Old Smokes smoke roast their coffee beans over wood fires. You have no idea how good coffee can taste until it's smoked coffee. Did you know that studies have shown that just the smell of fresh coffee can boost brain activity? Yeah, it's that good. Sandy and I have teamed up with Old Smokes Coffee to make our own Trapping Inc. coffee blend. Let me introduce you to Wolverine, an ultra dark roast coffee bean smoked over Maplewood fires. This is the pure, uncut trapper's fuel that keeps us laughing and trapping all day long. If you'd like to try our special blend, you can find it at www.trappinginc.com forward slash shop. If dark roast isn't your thing, Old Smokes has five different coffee roasts from light to extra dark, each roasted over a different wood for a unique flavor. Right now, you can order from their online store and use our promo code RICH, that's R-I-C-H, and get 10% off your entire order. Just go to www.oldsmokescoffee.com. That's O-L-E, smokescoffee.com, and use the promo code RICH. That is promo code RICH for 10% off your entire order. And now let's get back to today's show. <laughs> we had to... Um... Uh, we haven't we, we never built the cabins out at our on our trap line we just they came with the trap line when we bought it and the one they did uh osb for both the uh the the, the soffit and for the for the um uh for the face for the face board then too. fascia yeah for the face board yeah. the fascia and i mean just just osb so of course and you know they built themselves so so the uh the, the tin goes by the edge of that that fascia by by an eighth of an inch, right? And so of course that all soaks up and it falls down and and everything falls underneath there. And it's like, and I knew the squirrels were going in. I I, I, I could see it. So we that was one of the things we changed this year, and and uh, you know pressure treated for the for the soffit and and uh, a one by four and aluminum clad so they can't get through it or anything else and. And uh, and I put a drip cap in so that everything gets over. It'll never get wet ever again. 
but I was inside and they, and we were doing doing some work inside and all of a sudden one, one of the 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 ceiling is paneled with uh, hardboard and one of the one of the hardboard uh, gold makes this big pop noise and I look at it I grab it and just like this and and it all comes down right and I was like huh that's really weird and the <laughs> <laughs> and and the uh, the nails had just just pulled through right it was it, and you know there was no weight on it or anything I pushed up. And, uh, on on the fiberglass, I thought it was full of squir- uh, of nuts or whatever, right? Pine yeah. pine cones, and, but it wasn't. There was no weight there or anything. And it was just so. Then I'm going around. I'm just pounding up the nails that are heads that are sticking out, and then I'm getting ready to put it back up. All of a sudden, the this, the, the the poly bags down, and and this one <laughs> this one pine cone drops down <laughs> into the poly, and it's, <laughs> it's there. And I looked at it and said, "He says, well, what do you think?" I says, "I'm going to pretend it's the only one up there." <laughs> <laughs> pulls it up <laughs> we, we put it back up screwed it in place <laughs> oh people have no idea when when they're building stuff do they no i run into all kinds of interesting stuff what do you have there red squirrel or that gray so, fox giant thing no that kind of changes depending on where i'm working I get up along the lake shore to the north of me and I get a lot more red squirrels. Whereas around home and, and most of the big cities, it's it's black, like eastern grays. So yeah. gray or in the case of Exeter, Ontario, they could be white. There's all kinds of white ones running around there. Is there? White ones. Yeah. There's they're some of those squirrels now are over in Calgary in uh, okay. southern Alberta, but they're either gray or black. There's pure black ones. I don't know. If that's a mutation or, or most <laughs> or, of the ones that most of the ones that live in my yard. I have I have a bunch of oak trees and and some black walnut trees. So I have lots of squirrels at home here, and most of the ones here are black. I have very few grays. And originally, gray was the like the eastern gray squirrel was gray, and over time, it's it seems like the the genetics have went to to more black squirrels than grays. Isn't that weird, huh? Yeah, it's it's very strange. Yeah, we we were in Texas. Um, we were hunting Audad, and uh, you wouldn't recognize. I like. I mean, I did recognize a red oak. I knew I, I could recognize what a red oak leaf was, and 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 the, the acorns and that, that that kind of stuff. But then there was a bur oak, and it's got very tiny, convoluted leaves and all that. But it has these giant acorns right and that's a huge source of of, of food for the audit uh, it was it was pretty pretty cool but uh, the i deer, the deer here really love the white the white oaks okay and what kind they of taste, they taste better than the red the reds have more of a tannin in them so they're more of a uh like a sour taste in acorn compared to the whites okay is it like, a, the acorns will be about the same size on the reds and the whites but just the the, the whites taste better than the wildlife so oh, the deer cool. In on those when they're dropping. Oh, that's cool. I'd, I'd never seen it before. And I've never seen a walnut on a tree either. I, I think that would be cool to see as well. I, I, I have no, uh, ha- haven't had that, uh, that opportunity. And, and I found this, this to be really cool when we were in Texas. And I was looking around, I didn't see anything until I, I noticed in, in uh, alongside of his driveway there. I said, Oh, I recognize that. That's a red oak. And he said, Yeah, they're all oaks. I said, What? But there was burr oak and 
several other i'll get them all wrong anyway <laughs> i just remember the burr because it had this, it has this giant acorn and and it's really rough looking like it doesn't look like um look, look at all like like the red uh the acorn on on the red uh oak it was it was pretty cool yeah but so skunk is the net is the other so skunks i i always tell people like so i i've i've had the nickname stinky since i was in public school <laughs> first skunk, skunk i ever caught sprayed me and everybody thought it was funny and the name stuck and <laughs> i always tell people that that's the smell of money to me oh yeah I, nobody wants to get rid of a skunk even when they catch it in their own trap they're they're quite happy to pay you to come and get it and get rid of it and I, i've learned a lot about skunks over the years and i always tell people every skunk has its own personality some you could walk up and grab that cage and you could turn it upside down and shake him and spin him around in circles and he'd never spray you really get 10 feet from him and he's already spraying you before you anywhere get anywhere close they're they're very individual animals for sure okay so i when i get a lot of calls is breeding season late february early march okay is, is those skunks have been there since fall they've crawled under a, an addition on a like on a house that was built on piers or somebody's trailer or porch or something like that that doesn't have a, a concrete foundation and that den full of skunks has been there since fall well all of a sudden when the males get roaming and breeding season starts while well, the fights start over the females well then the spray starts and you oh. can imagine it smells like in somebody's house when four or five skunks spray underneath it fighting with each other <laughs> breeding season I, ne- I never knew that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I never knew it'd yeah. be, be like throwing four live grenades in a box and shaking it up, I guess, huh? Yeah, it, it, it smells and it, and you know, the way skunk is, it lingers and lingers forever. Like once it's in something. So it's, it's a horrible thing. Once it gets in a house, I got, I got a good story to tell you about that. I was uh, trapping skunk for, for a buddy here in, in uh, Southern Alberta in, in uh, well, South Central Alberta in uh uh, September this year and we have no season on skunk here so that means that you can trap them whenever they're they, you know you don't even have to be a trapper to to, to to trap them anyway I was uh there and uh my my granddaughter came over from Saskatchewan to to visit and help me trap skunks and uh I was then showing her how to extract everything right and you know when when you're extracting you always put your thumb over the or over the vent because otherwise you might get squirted well i'm i'm showing her on on the second one and and it's it's a female she's very tiny female and very very little in her but um i was talking to my my granddaughter and 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 my thumb slipped off and as i poked it a little (laughs) you know Ah. (laughs) and literally like you couldn't see where it hit on my shirt you couldn't see it was that tiny of a of a just a just a droplet right we washed that shirt three times and then we washed it when we, we when I got home, and and this is like back in September, and I took it by accident. It got thrown in the suitcase with, with, with me. We took it to Texas, and I, when I pulled it out to put it on, it still smelled. It smelled, yeah. The two biggest things I find are my wallet and my belt. It's something about leather that it really stays in leather. I don't know why it is, but those two things, it just lingers in them. Every time I pull my wallet out after I get a bit on me, it's like, oh, I can still smell that. I wonder oh, if really? everybody around me can. 
literally is the smell of money then. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Between the what people pay me to get rid of them and and you know the essence, mm-hmm. and I, I collect a bit of skunk fat. I've had uh, a bit of a skunk fat market. Really? What, what do you do with that? I, I put my pelts up to in the fall and and, and send them. So. Yeah. What what do, you, what do you do with the skunk fat? So I just I let it sun render. Uh huh. And it it actually makes a great lure base. It, it'll hold ingredients really good and has it has zero odor. It, it it's different than coon fat. And the people that bought it from me actually some older fellas that had horses, and they were going to use it as horse liniment. They were going to mix something in it and use it for horse liniment. Well, cool. I like when I make my Martin lure, I mean, I, I use Vaseline, but I, I'm not really happy with that because, because Vaseline tends to skin over and, and then, yeah. And, and encapsulate. Yep. So I've been trying to find something different. Does, does skunk fat stay liquid in the, in the cold or does it get it, hard again? It'll, it'll gel up and get a little hard, but I don't think it skins over. You'd be a better test than I am just because you have a lot colder weather. I, I don't get that cold weather to try to see if it would, like minus 30, right? Whether it would, yeah. whether it would do that. We, we only see very short periods of that here in the South. What about minus 20? Do you see that? Yeah, we see minus 20 quite often here. Okay. And is it still liquid in the jar at minus 20? It, it's, it's, it's stiff. It's like Cresco at that point. Okay. Like a, like a lard or like a lard at that point. Okay. Huh. That might, that, that might be interesting. I'm going to try. Um, uh, Somebody sent me um, a recommendation for it's a a food uh, a food grade lubricant. Uh, it's a grease, and they said that they they used it, but it's food grade, so it doesn't have a bad odor or or anything like that. You know, like I mean, you you can you can literally eat it and not make you sick. So uh, I'm going to try that on with with some of my lure this year just just to try and get away from the, the, the problem with petroleum jelly, right? I had heard that um, skunk uh, fat would, made good soap. I, do you know anything about I that? It, I could believe it probably would. I've never, I've never tried it, but I can believe the, like, the fat comes out nice and clear once it's rendered and it's not, there's no smell to it. It's amazing. You'd think an animal that smelled like that would have some kind of odor, but it doesn't. Well, explain to everybody here when you talk about you sun render it. Well, explain the the process. And I mean, the fat itself uh, does it have any odor? Not really. No, it just like like I would you know like any any fat right. Fat right. has distinct odor to itself. So when I sun render, all I do is I put it in a big jar, put the lid on loose, and I set it out in in the hot sun. And what it'll do is it'll what comes off the top that'll be a, a clear oil and then i pour that off and that's what i keep them okay and so do you get like what percentage of, of oil do you get out of you know probably like say let's we use a mace like a quart mason jar for instance you'll probably get a third oil to two-thirds skunk fat really yeah that's pretty it, good. It's, it's a it's a fairly high producer. It's it's surprising how much will come off of it. So you fill the jar right up then? Yeah, almost to the top. Just leave a little bit of headspace. You need you need a bit of room for it to to expand. You don't right. want to fill it right to the top and have it explode on you. Okay. 
And how long does and it take just, to, to sun render down? I, I leave it out. I leave it out all summer. Right. Same way as the same as I like I do beaver toil beaver tail oil too in the summer. And I leave it, I put a five gallon bucket out and just leave it all summer. And what do you use? What do you use the beaver tail oil for? It I use it as a canine lure. Oh really? Yeah. Just it's the base the base for it? It's the base, or you can use it straight too. It's a real curiosity for for canines, just straight to be it. It's one of those things you got to be careful how much you use because they'll want to roll in it. Oh it's really? Or they'll they'll put their shoulder down and try and and try and rub on it like a dog, you know, with a piece of stinky stuff. Yeah. 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 For my dogs, it's usually a coyote turd or a bear turd. <laughs> 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 and you just get so when, you, when you're walking them you watch them and like you say that shoulder drop dips and it's, you start yelling <laughs> yeah. oh you're or, not getting back in the truck with me well no then they get a wash in the in, in the front yard <laughs> under the hose and they hate that so <laughs> but they never learn never learn if it's stinky man i, I, I gotta i gotta give that a try <laughs> yeah. so you do also uh you're a fur trapper then, and that means yep. you have a, 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 a trap line, I think you were saying like eight hours north of you? Yeah, so I'm about eight and a half to nine hours north. Um, so Kirkland Lake would be the, the closest big town to where I'm at. Um, Kirkland Lake, Timmins, I don't know if any, any of the viewers would know that area, but that's, that's where I'm at. Um, it's not a huge line. It's 100 square kilometers, not as big as some of your guys' western lines for sure um one big lake and river system splits my line in two okay. so that kind of makes it it i love having that big lake but it makes things a little difficult because you got to drive around other than when the when the river freezes but it's one of those rivers that there's so much current in it you're never real trusting of driving on the ice on it and it's yeah. 10 15 feet deep so you wouldn't want to drop a skidoo through oh in, i know so it's, I do most of my trapping up there actually before the snow gets too deep that I can't uh, quite a ways from camp and, and get in with the skidoo and breaking trail and stuff like that. And with the price of, with the price of fur the last couple of years, it, you know, it hasn't made a lot of sense for me to really spend a lot of time in the winter up there. So what, what from do you trap and, up there? So I have, uh, I, I travel, a Martin quota of 10, a Lynx quota of four, and I have to trap 75% of my beaver quota. My beaver quota is 45. Okay. So in Ontario, we have minimum and maximum beaver quota. Okay. okay. So the law says we have to take 75% of our quota each year. That must be tough, though, to uh, balance when you know, the price of beaver falls off the face of the earth. It, it's, it, it, I always say it costs me money to trap my beavers up there, but it's the price of being able to go to the North and have a place where, where, you know, there's nobody, nobody hassling me and it's quiet. No. And, and I totally understand that. I mean, I'm looking forward to, to where I'm headed to, to tomorrow uh, afternoon as well. And, but I don't have to trap beaver. Like we don't have a quota uh, as far as that goes. And, and, um, some years it's just it doesn't make sense to trap beaver you know especially where it's been dry like this year well the, the beaver numbers will be down and and it's so funny because 
And then if we have a, a wet year next year, it's almost like there were dehydrated beavers everywhere just waiting for water. And when yep. you add water and boom, there's, there, there's beavers again, right? But to have to trap them as, you know, how does, how does the, the government equate that? Like uh, our, originally the reason behind it was, is they wanted all the trap lines. It was created with the trap line system to manage the trap lines. Hey folks, Rich here with some exciting news from trappinginc.com. We were listening when you said you wanted more clothing and we heard you loud and clear. We've expanded our clothing line, more colors, men's, ladies, and children's sizes, more variety. Living off grid gives more time for the creative juices to flow. New humorous observations are added weekly, as well as our classic Trapping Inc. logo. We have joined forces with Tee Public. You can find our Tee Public storefront from the store page on trappinginc.com. Just go to www.trappinginc.com forward slash shop. And just scroll down to find the link for our Trapping Inc. storefront. Or you can go to tpublic.com and enter Trapping Inc. TV in the search bar at the top. Check it out. Big sales every month, and you can save up to 35%. Don't miss out. Get your favorite gear today. And now let's get back to today's show. The beavers cause enough damage, you know, to the infrastructure with the logging roads and stuff up there. They didn't want guys just going and trapping the high-dollar martin and leaving the beaver, right? So it was a, it was a management decision when, when that was instituted years ago. And, you know, when beavers were 75 or $80 for your good winter beaver, you know, quote has made sense. Yeah. They don't make as much sense anymore. No. Our no. fur techs are pretty good, though. If if we do see, a, we're allowed to adjust our quotas from year to year. If we if we see that we have no beavers, you know, say one, one, one year, and we take and draw a map up through our fur tech with our live colonies, they, they do one and a half beaver per colony is how they figure quotas. So if you go and say to them, here's my map of live colonies, and this is, I'm down to, you know, 20 beaver from 40, they'll, they'll adjust it for you that year. Wow. That's, that's pretty technical. I couldn't even begin to tell you where all the lakes are in my trap line, let alone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still, I've had my line for eight years and I'm still finding, I, I, I haven't seen it all yet. I'm still finding spots that I haven't been to. Right. So, oh Yeah. Yeah, and it, it ends up being a lot of work. You guys, I mean, you would probably travel a lot on either logging roads or or alongside the river, that that kind of thing, right? Yeah. So most of I I, I in the fall I run the river with my boat, the river and the lake. I the whole length of it with my ball foot aluminum and, and motor. So I can do a lot of my beaver trapping right out of a boat, which saves carrying anything too far. And then. I have quite a number of logging roads. My, my trap line's been logged off pretty heavy. Oh, okay. A lot, re, a lot of regrowth. And that's not definitely not good for your martin populations. It, uh, I, have way more, I have way more fisher now than I do martin. It, it is so weird. Like, I mean, one time you think that, and, you know, because none of us ever like to see those big old forests logged in that. But one time you think that, and then the next time a buddy of mine has a... a a trap line and he got it was logged for aspen and it never had a lot of martin in that now with with you know we're 10 12 years after being logged for aspen and it's it, it's crawling with martin it makes no sense whatsoever you know it's interesting he's, yeah he's you know like there's there's you know the, the those skinny little those skinny aspen you know a dozen to to 20 feet tall kind of thing 
and it is just crawling with Martin. And I, I said, was there Martin here before? He says, I don't really know. I never really tapped him here. You know, huh. <laughs> he has, he has two lines and, 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 you know, he had ones, uh, you know, in the classic big timber and all that. And that's always been his Martin line. He says, I was, I, I was traveling through here, you know, and he says, I, I started seeing Martin signs. So I started putting boxes out and it was crazy. It was crazy the amount of Martin were there. And so I don't know what caused that. I think probably the biggest problem that we have is, as, as trappers is, is that, or outdoors people is, is you key in on, on too many variables and you have far too short of window that you're looking at, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at uh, such a little amount of time, you know, even the amount of time you and I are on the face of the earth and, and the amount of time that we've been trapping, yeah. you know, isn't a big enough sample to make a, a hill of beans when it comes to, you know, postulating a theory or, or whatever but we're always there thinking about it right you know yeah, like exactly for me one thing i have seen in 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 a short period of time here is in the south i could catch four times as many beaver here in the south as i could in my lie in the north really they're just infested with beavers nothing like i have ever seen in, in, in you know 40 years of trapping or 35 years of trapping i've never seen so many beavers here in the south and why is that i think mostly it's fur market related no nope, no nope, there's no other trappers around me trapping beaver unless okay. they're paid to do it they just stay so what we have i kind of live in a unique area there's four major river systems within 20 minutes of my house that are the headwater i, I live in the headwaters of four major river systems that, that drain most of southwestern ontario so the beavers all live in those rivers and then they migrate up all our municipal, we call them municipal drains, these ditches. And they migrate up all these and, and some of them as fast as I trap them, six months later, all the beavers back in them again. Yeah, I, I can believe that. I mean, I, I do the same for oil companies. I, most of my beaver work is for, for the oil companies out of my trap line. And I tell them, you know, like I can kill every beaver, but it ain't going to be long. You know, good habitat is isn't empty for long, and and it's true, it's it, it's very true. I mean, I, that's just just the way nature is. That's the funny part. Uh, I have a friend who's in uh, Vancouver, and uh, I won't mention his name or anything because uh, <laughs> he doesn't want anybody to know that that the trappers actually operate there. But but they have th those situations where where they're catching these beaver, and of course the uh, the anti fur and all that want those beaver to be released somewhere else, but like he said, there is no place else to release that everywhere you, every bit of, of good habitat already has beaver in it. And so you're going to release them and, and they're going to fight it out. One of them's going to die anyway. You know, like, I mean, there's still going to be a, a beaver die and people just don't understand that. They just think that there's I, just yeah. all this, all this area out there. Hey, we can throw another beaver here, another beaver there. Not a big deal. You know, if it was good habitat, there would be a beaver there right now. Yep, you know what I mean? Exactly. I deal with that. In the I, I trap beavers in cities in stormwater management ponds. There'll be 300 houses looking at that stormwater management pond, you know, within 100 yards of where you're working. I do it all in the dark, and nobody even knows I'm there. Cool. Tell me about this. Tell me <laughs> what's 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 your go-to on in those situations. So I use I, I've gone to strictly cage traps now in those situations just because I don't ever want the liability of the wrong person sticking their hand in the three thirty or somebody's dog or you know because like I say like there's people everywhere in these situations. It's and you know I've learned that people never sleep. There's always somebody awake somewhere. 
so it's it's like you're like you're some kind of i don't know what to describe it you know sneaking around in the dark you know trying to remove these beaver without causing a media sensation right right so i use mostly cage traps i i started out building my own cage traps before the comstocks become available and i've i've never ever bought a comstock yet because i'm quite happy with mine work they just work like a big colony muskrat trap oh okay the original the doors are up when i set and they have a bar in there that holds both doors up and then the first beaver in knocks the hits the bar like a like a conibear trigger almost and then both of those doors will shut but it will repeat and allow a second beaver in if another one comes along and wants to shove the doors. But oh. I, found if, I found they avoided them more with the doors down. Okay. I went to the style with having a trigger system on the doors to, to catch the first beaver with the doors up. Gotcha. Gotcha. So are, are these in uh, like in, uh, then they're underwater, are they? Yeah, I, okay. I, I run them underwater. I can run them and catch beavers live in them too. And, you know, if I had to go in and do work, I, I, I've done it before where I've caught the beavers live. You know, I put them on a, a cart and I wheel them out. You know, and people see you doing it and they say, well, what are you doing with those? Well, you know, I'm taking them somewhere else. You know, I, I don't. <laughs> Sometimes I figure that what the less they know, the better. Yeah. <laughs> it, it just, all my clients tell me, I don't want a media circus out of this. Just get the job done. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I, I to, to to lie to people and tell them, you know, like there there was beaver going to be euthanized, but if they see it leave live, it doesn't hurt the feelings so bad. Yeah, it, it it's a funny world that way, isn't it? You know, uh, people will rant and rave at you for for being a hunter while holding a big Mac in their hand. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and yep. you know, I, I'm not I'm not sure the meat content of the Big Mac either, but <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? Like, yep. uh, I, I've, I've, I've had this happen, you know, you, you'll be at a function or whatever and, and people find out, you know, that you're a trapper and they, there's lots of questions in that overwhelmingly people find it cool. People have an interest yep. in it, you know, and, and I think that's just because it's hardwired in, in the human, in our most primordial nature, you know, trapping, hunting, fishing, that, that kind of stuff is hardwired. And so people find it incredibly uh, interesting and, and overwhelmingly, I, I just, I get really, really good questions and, and people are very open to talk about it, but every now and then you get somebody, Oh, well, I think that's just so awful. And, you know, and you know, their purse is sitting there next to them and I'll say, well, you think that cow committed suicide for your purse? <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh, I don't know how it works in, in Alberta with local trappers associations, but here in Ontario, we have quite a few of them. Um, so each kind of, they're kind of like a county or three or four counties go together to have a local trappers association. And ours is the here in Perth. It's the oldest trappers association in Ontario. 1945 it was established. Wow. Um, I've been president for, I'm not even sure how many years now. 10 anyways, I'm thinking. The big bucks, huh? A lot of education, public-wise, with our fur kit. And it's amazing when you go to functions with the general public, they dive right in and touch the fur, and they think it's so great. And we get very few real negative comments. Like you said, you get the odd person or two people that are rabid right against us. 
with the rest of them. They just want to talk about it and 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 hear your stories. They're 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 on the fence, and I I think those are the people that you know need to get to all the time. I I think I think a lot more people realize the realities of of the world. Okay, and the reality is animals have to be controlled whether it's a coyote or whether it's a raccoon or whether it's a muskrat or whether they the animals have to be controlled or mother nature just builds up until they they get sick they starve to death or they get ate by something else you know uh you know i mean that's that's the only way when you take a look at any of the studies they every one of them will say that 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 not not enough wild animals die of old age for it to be significant in the study <laughs> you know they don't have a good way out a, a good way out it's ne it's never never nice but mother nature builds up to these huge these huge populations and they crash all the way down and barely sustain but it's all these these up and down up and down right and we just you know it doesn't work with our with, with the reality of of uh yes we are living in, in what used to be the, their their uh their land and all that stuff but that's not going to change this matters you know somebody says to me but well the beaver were here first yeah okay but you want to leave you know, yeah, you, where are you going? Yeah. Where are you moving to Mars? Like, I don't think your habit, we're habit, not yet. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? And they say, well, don't be ridiculous. You know, I live in Edmonton. Yeah. Well, Edmonton has huge population of beaver and, and, uh, you know, th that doesn't, that doesn't make you without guilt in all of this, you know? So, so, I mean, if, if the fact that we're invading their habitat, we're all, we're all guilty of that. So we have to do something about it. It has to be balanced. And I think there's a whole lot of people that know that it has to be balanced. They just want to sit there and actually ask somebody who does it. And they want to feel good about, about, about knowing how it's being done. And I think that's the biggest strength that we have. You talked about um, uh, you, the education kits and, and that you do. The biggest strength we have in Canada is, is the, the fact that, you know, we turned to the European Union and they said, we're not going to allow your fur anymore. And we we're going to say because it's inhumane and we said well, okay define humane and we'll meet it that was a stroke of genius it was a big bald bluff let me tell you <laughs> because who knew what they were going to say was 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 the definition yeah. of humane and, and you know they they I, i'm sure they laughed about it thinking well they'll they'll never meet meet this this standard and we did but because we did that we are as bad as as much as it gags me to use this word we were progressive and we realized you know wh where our place was in the in the world and and how we could ensure that 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 place so most people just want to know how it's done is it done you know ethically you know are there standards that are involved uh, you know that that kind of stuff and, and we we can we can at, at least stand up and hold our head up and say yeah we do it you know we're signatory to the to the agreement and you know that has humane right in in the agreement of humane traffic standards so i've i've always found that overwhelmingly like you know you you get that handful of people that uh you know want to cause you trouble whether it's on social media or wherever it is we in you know it happens and and i just talk with my my sponsors you know with the tv program especially and i say look there's a handful and they say well you know you know they they send threatening emails and all this i said well for one thing i can guarantee that you know just about none of these people are your customer to begin with you know they they're, they're not buying traps or guns or or, or argos or, or anything else you know they, they they're just not so i mean that's a pretty hollow um threat right there we got uh highlighted here a few months back by uh 
a Facebook page. Now the name of it escapes me. They had 1.4 million uh, members on this Facebook page and they're anti-fur. And they were taking, uh, I was, you know, every once a week you 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 put a post up on Facebook or on YouTube or whatever about what that week's show was. And they, they would put it up and they were, they were exhorting their, all these 1.4 million people to, to, to attack us, you know, to flood us, to, to try and shut us down. I think I, I remi- had removed, it might've been more than two dozen, but it was certainly less than, than 30 individual names. Um, I, I would just block them, ban them and, and, and ignore them. And it was, and then I joined their Facebook page <laughs> and, uh-huh. and, and I go there and they would whine and complain that I wouldn't engage with them. You know, and, 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 you know, come on people, we got to do more here. We got to do, he's just ignoring us. And, and it, it went nowhere. It went absolutely nowhere. It was, there was probably six, seven days of, of removing, you know, uh, nasty posts, uh, you know, three, four times a day, I'd have to re- remove a couple of nasty posts, but, it, you know, you'd get rid of that person. And then they, 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 they would maybe come back or another person from the same Facebook page would come back, but it was nothing. It was a tempest in a teapot. This is 1.4 million, you know, members on this Facebook page. Well, now anyone uh, of your sponsors looks at that and goes, ooh, that's a lot of people, right? But it's not. It's not. I mean, it is really a, a, a straw man. And I, I happen to think that the, you know, the, the, the climate uh, people are, are just, just the same as, as the anti-fur people and all that. There are a lot of talk and not a lot of, not a lot of action. And, you know, if, if they can't do it from their mom's basement and, and get the reaction they want, well, then the heck with you, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. The, the very funnest thing we do each year, and we haven't been able to do it for two years because of COVID, is we have what we call the Ag and Water Festival. And it's grade four or five and it's a huge number of schools i think it's about 15 schools their classes over two days to learn about everything in the rural community to do with agriculture and water so our trappers association we have a a station there and a table we set up our fur kit and we talk to the kids about trapping and fur bearers and the relationship to the water and 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 how everything works. And we see 500, 550 kids over two days. I'm pretty hoarse by the time I'm done talking to them all, but it's a great time. And you know what? Again, I get one or two kids out of those ones that are squeamish and the rest of me, they want to dive right into that table full of fur and, and just get a hold of it and say, Oh, can we take some of this home? You know, it's, it's, I see a, a future for sure that way. And I think the big thing is is us educating people. Hey folks, Rich from Trapping Inc. TV here, and it's no secret that I'm a big fan of coffee. Our friends at Old Smokes smoke roast their coffee beans over wood fires. You have no idea how good coffee can taste until it's smoked coffee. Did you know that studies have shown that just the smell of fresh coffee can boost brain activity? Yeah, it's that good. Sandy and I have teamed up with Old Smokes Coffee to make our own Trapping Ink coffee blend. Let me introduce you to Wolverine, an ultra dark roast coffee bean smoked over maple wood fires. This is the pure, uncut trapper's fuel that keeps us laughing and trapping all day long. If you'd like to try our special blend, you can find it at www.trappinginc.com. 
Smokes.com forward slash shop. If dark roast isn't your thing, Old Smokes has five different coffee roasts from light to extra dark, each roasted over a different wood for a unique flavor. Right now, you can order from their online store and use our promo code RICH, that's R-I-C-H, and get 10% off your entire order. Just go to www.oldsmokescoffee.com. That's O-L-E, smokescoffee.com, and use the promo code RICH. That is promo code RICH for 10% off your entire order. And now let's get back to today's show. Yeah, and I, and I think part of it is, is once again that we, we do have a moral high ground we could stand on. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for one thing, uh, what we do is, is ethical. For a second thing, it's it's very 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 necessary, especially on the animal damage control side that, that you know that, that you do. Uh, you know what what I do. You know when I'm trapping the, my my muskrat lakes and ponds around here. Um, if we don't trap them, they end up with tuyarima, and tuyarima not only kills them but it kills anything that drinks that water, which can be dogs and cats and cows and horses and and even people get sick from tuyarima. You know, and people look at me and say, well, it's not that dangerous. I says, well, have you ever heard of hantavirus? Oh, yeah, that's dangerous. I said, that mice carry it around. Why, why, why wouldn't you think that something like a muskrat could carry something around? Well, yeah, but, but, but what about raccoons? They're so cute. Well, they're the number one vector in Saskatchewan. Uh, we don't have a lot of raccoon in Alberta. We have none up here where, where I live. But in Saskatchewan, raccoon is the number one vector for both distemper and rabies. So there you go. You know, like, I mean, both of those very, very dangerous diseases when it comes to livestock and, and uh, domestic pets and all that kind of stuff, and even people. But those just, animals need to be controlled. They you know they're the we number just one. We went through a huge, a huge raccoon rabies outbreak here in Ontario. Um, started four and a half, five years ago. It's finally under control again now. I've worked with our MNR rabies unit for the last five years, picking up samples and and getting pegged and getting them to them and also providing, I provide a lot of skunks to them for, for testing. That's another thing us like the average person doesn't know the trappers are, are the, the people on the ground providing all the samples for these government agencies to, to continue doing their work. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, I think it was Jim Gibbs boy said to me, he said that uh, trappers are the, are the last line of defense between the wild and civilization and they're the ones that see everything happening first you know they, they see the the trends and they and they 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 know what's going on and sometimes you know if, if you have the right um uh, biologists and government and that kind of stuff it it's a good thing sometimes you you have ones who have totally no respect for the trappers whatsoever they, they figure that the education they got you know, last year at, at the U of A, it, was, it tells them much more about what's going on than, than somebody who's lived there for a couple, for 20 years. You know what I mean? Uh, we do have those issues here, especially in Alberta, where so much, there is so much development going on, and especially with resource-based development and that kind of stuff. Um, our, our, our biologists, you know, for the most part, don't have a lot of respect for trappers or, or trapping. And it's it's one of the one of the issues that we fight all the time. I I look at others and people talk, you know, they have they have good relationship stories about, about their their uh, their conservation officers, the biologists, and all that kind of stuff. And, and I'm envious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm envious. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say we we have a at least here in my opinion, I like I have a, a couple of really good COs, and trapping causes very few problems here. It's not like it was during the fur boom of the 80s when 
you know, it was a full-time job policing trappers. Yeah. Or, or people who own traps is what I should say because yeah. of the aspect of things. Right. Most of the got in it back then, you know, they're, they're long gone. They'll never be in it again. It was just, a, it was a fast buck thing and it, it created a lot of unnecessary regulations for us in Ontario that we're still undoing to this day from the firm. Yeah. Well, and I want to clarify, I, I've never had a problem with a conservation officer and, and my, my conservation officers that I work with are great. We, uh, we usually host one of them every year out on the trap for a day out in the trap line. I think they probably come more for Sandy's cooking than they do to get, <laughs> get beat down the trail by rich, but <laughs> no, they, they, they are awesome. And, and I've, I've had them. There's been a couple of times when there's been a, a paper snafu, like one of the, forms that we fill out or, or pre-COVID that we filled out was uh, was in triplicate. And so I get to keep one copy and two copies, I suppose, or the, the, uh, the uh, dispensary or the, or the uh, person that you're registering the fur with keeps one copy and one copy goes to government. Well, they lost all of my copies one year. So then, that, then what, what's, what's their biologist's immediate reaction? We we're going to take your trap line away. <laughs> I, said, oh, wow. I said hey listen how do i know you know it's it's not my incompetence that has lost these you know i mean i i have copies well you could you know they want me to send the copy registered mail i said i said how about i scan them to the cloud and send you a link well i'm not sure that's good enough i said well it's gonna have to be good enough because you already lost one set <laughs> yeah i'm not gonna give up mine no yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly he wrote a nasty nasty letter and and i ended up taking it to the minister like i mean it was just and he said there was no you know the minister said there was no call for that you know and and i i said yeah but you know then this person expects to to, to have cooperation right you know, yeah exactly yeah but this is the first i didn't even know the guy's name and this is the first my first interaction with him he's threatening me with taking away my trap line wow. you know <laughs> You, you must have a, a good trapping story. Oh, I've got more than a few, Rich, over the years of, uh, of silly things we did in the pursuit of fur. Sounds good. I think one of the, the, the most dangerous and worst ones was the time we flipped the canoe in early March, chasing muskrats in the, in the first flood. We, uh, we had went down the river the day before, me and a, a friend of mine, and there was a fence strung across the river. So there was a cable held the fence, but a half inch aircraft cable. So you couldn't touch that cable with a paddle reaching up to it the first day. Second day, we had a lot of rain that night and a lot of snow melt. So we went down, put in again, and we went down the next day and we were coming up to the cable and we were coming pretty quick. And you could see it was just below the waterline. That's how much the water had come up. Oh. Well, the hit that and we were sideways immediately and into the drink. And I have never been in such cold water in my life as that. It just sucks the air right out of you. And then it was a mile and a half or two miles to the truck from there. And it was the coldest walk I think I've ever been on, soaking wet walking to that truck. We found the canoe a week later lodged in a, in a log jam about five or six miles from where, where we dumped it. I got my 22 back in the summertime. It was right below the cable. It really? Was, yep. It was it was junk at that point. It was the barrel was rusted shot. And, but I, I did find it. I got it back. Yeah. 
all, all those lessons, huh? Yeah, I've I've crawled into hollow trees before after coons when we were younger. That I'm thinking like, if I ever get stuck in here, feet up in the air and face down trying to reach those coons, I don't know if anybody will ever find me. <laughs> I've I've only ever went trapping coon once, and that was uh, last March. We I, I went over to Saskatchewan, went with uh, with Ryan, and and uh, we had some fun there. I found them to be a pretty cool animal. I did. I never. I, I guess I'm at a loss as to why their fur isn't more popular. So I've trapped a lot of beautiful coons over the years, and I can't believe too that that it's not a more popular fur. You know, it's not. It's not really long fur. It it stands up all by itself, like it's practically non-directional. You know. Yep. You know what I mean? Where, whereas you take any of the the long hair and that it's very directional so it directional has some care way. involved but with raccoon you give it a shake and it's all standing up and yeah. and it's it doesn't seem to be that super heavy you know you'd think it'd be a very popular material to work with but i, I guess it's at one time we produced a lot of coon in this area like it i've i've had plenty of years at three and five hundred coon in this area and and i know guys that have broke a thousand in this area too yeah Lots of when I was in my teens and early twenties, everybody I knew had a coon hound. Like everybody took 150, 200 coon a year, and we we had oodles and oodles of coon. Yeah, yeah. They they're they're an animal that you can harvest extremely heavily, and you'll have just as many the next year to harvest. <laughs> a buddy of mine in Minnesota, uh, Big Joe, he had a coon mule. <laughs> I said, "What?" He says, "It was it was a mule that was 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 designed for coon hunting." I said, "What do you mean?" He says, "Well, you got this flour sack," and he says, "And this is the this is the mule's flour sack." And he says, "You drape it over a fence; it'll jump over the fence." He says, "I drape it over the tailgate of my truck; it jump the, the tailgate in my truck." I said, "What?" You know, I, I'm I'm sure I'm getting my leg pulled at this time. He says, "No." He says, "We be going down the road." He says, "He says and that old mule will be back there, standing in the back of my truck, and be leading to the corners." I says, "You didn't have stock here." No, no. I says, "He says mule didn't need that." <laughs> but they would they would they would chase coon all night long, and with dogs and 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 this mule, and you know, he he says to you know the dogs would be barking and get over there with the mule, shine a light. There'd be a coon. They'd shoot it and bring it back and. He was. He lived in Minneapolis, and he sold it to a barbecue place. He'd sell a raccoon to a barbecue place in in St. Paul, and the fellow there uh, would always make them leave one paw on. He says, "Cause he says I don't mind eating cat, but he says not at coon prices." We used to have a fur buyer from about two hours south of me, getting down closer to the border, that bought raccoon hides. And I, I sold him quite a few just skin coons over the years, but he had a really good market too. He had guys that came from Detroit and they would fill the trunk of the car and it back across. And at that point, you know, nobody cared. Nobody said a word about that stuff going on. And then all of a sudden, one time they, they got to the border and the U S customs said like, what are you guys doing? Can't yeah. do that. That was the end of the, the end of the coon market in Detroit from Ontario. <laughs> Isn't that silly though? Like, I mean, what was really, was it hurting? Nothing, <laughs> you know exactly nothing. I, I've told this story it, before, but I, uh, one of uh, one one of the lure makers here was uh, makes a, a wolf gland lure, okay, and it's made actually from glands of wolves, and 
and uh so he he buys you know wolf glenn and that from everybody and and to make this lure and it works pretty good anyway one of his big uh clients was you know um montana and uh, wyoming and and those places with uh, idaho uh, their dnr there or whatever they call them fish and game game and fish uh you know would would, would buy this for for getting rid of a uh, problem wolves right well and one day some pencil pusher somewhere looks at it and it says right on the jar it says wolf gland lure do you suppose it have parts of wolves in there you know so yeah you know i mean you you have a, a 10 gallon pail that you throw two <laughs> two two glands into and mix it up that's how much wolf gland there was in there right well then it became illegal and they were going to charge him and all this kind of stuff and and then you know one of the guys in the department says you realize that we're probably his biggest customer and then it all went away but he can't yeah, he can't exactly. sell it anywhere <laughs> you know yeah he, he, he didn't end up getting charged over it, but he, he can't he can't sell down there anymore because it has parts of wolves in it right yep. <laughs> silly 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 rules <laughs> oh i know i know mm. i mean we have to have some control but man it's almost like you know the road to hell is paved with good intentions because it gets out of uh, out of control so so quickly right yep so tell tell us about your 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 company uh, how do people get a hold of you what area are you in so i i like i said i i live in a small town called atwood and i service a, an area of about an hour hour and a half around me here in in midwestern ontario and i have a website www.duncanwildlifecontrol.ca and i'm on facebook at duncan wildlife control as well and i have a youtube channel at uh, matt duncan canadian longliner there you go right on my youtube channel i did my first videos in 2009 and then it kind of languished because of family obligations and raising kids and i never i never did as many and I, i'm trying to put some content to, to get it back up and and rolling again i'm i'm having a big difficulty with all with with all of them now i guess somehow i i landed on the radar um they demonetize anything that has one of my grandchildren in it because taking children trapping is the same as pedophilia is according to them that that that's child abuse so i'm at war with them over that and amazon prime just just suspended my uh uh my account We've used to used to uh, stream thousands upon thousands of minutes of uh, of uh, trapping ink TV on on Amazon Prime, and and now they've suspended it. And, and do they give you a reason? None. Really? None. Just that the account is was suspended, wow. and that there is no appeal. <laughs> How do you like that? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh so that's that's why we we're moving away from the the the, the standard social programs uh, uh platforms you know facebook and, and youtube and all that stuff for, and more to our own uh our locals.com uh, uh private uh community just because nobody nobody bothers you there and and uh, you don't have to be justifying yourself you know over the, all this stupidity right yep, you know when, exactly. whenever i've had uh uh you know been flagged on anything for you know like if i'd have not fought on on youtube i'd they'd have shut my channel down a long time ago like i mean three strikes and you're gone right 
and I still am at zero strikes, but I have been, I have been, uh, uh, you know, had a, a strike laid against me several times. And, you know, I've, I've had to fight each and every time to, to, to make sure that it doesn't stick. And I mean, coming down to, 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 to education and, and it's, it's a fact of life and this is our, this is our history, but you know, I don't know how much longer that that's going to, that that's going to pass, you know, like, I, I don't know how much longer the fact that this is, this is a, a historic and timeless tradition and it's what opened up, you know, the, the, uh, uh, North America and, and you know and settled it and all that I don't know how much longer that, that that's going to be uh allowable for one thing right now I mean it, it takes forever to get past the artificial intelligence because the, the fir your first strikes are laid against you by by artificial intelligence and then it takes several appeals to get to you actually talk to somebody and you know once I can talk to somebody it becomes easier but I don't know I I, I don't I don't see a future in YouTube I don't, um, there'll probably always be a future for, for the crap that's on there, but, uh, not for, not for things like hunting and fishing and traveling. Not for, not for our stuff. Yeah. Nope. Nope. It's unfortunate for sure, because it's a big, it's a big platform. It's a huge platform, but I guess what we're learning is that it's not the only platform and we need to, we need to look elsewhere, you know, yeah. but we have been at it for over an hour, sir. Oh, that's great. It was wonderful chatting with you. Yeah, it's great. I mean, uh, I, I see your name all the time uh, uh, out on out in the uh, the uh, internet world, and and it's good to put a, a face to the name. And uh, it's it's been a wonderful chat. Uh, I hope you have a, a good rest of your fall here. You, what, what time do you shut her down and go to the big bush? So I'm going to start our our muskrat season. Muskrat, mink, and beaver all open on Monday down here in the south. Yeah. I'm going to start down here. I'm going to start doing some trapping here. I've been doing nuisance beaver work for the past two weeks for a big marsh complex and a couple of municipalities, but it's time to go after some muskrats here before, before I go north. And then I'm hoping to get up maybe the middle of November, maybe to go up and, and uh, get a bunch of my beaver quota caught and trap some Martin and Fisher and lynx and be in the north away from people for a few for a few days yeah that's good stuff that is <laughs> yep, for sure <laughs> well i sure appreciate you taking the time to talk with us tonight sure i'd love to come back again sometime you bet you bet we, we'll make sure we do it and uh to the rest of you folks it's been it's been good i hope you've enjoyed it we've had a lot of fun a lot of laughs and maybe we'll see you down the line